Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Thursday afternoon and weather permitting, we've got baseball tonight. Game one between Mississippi State and Texas A&M scheduled for 6 o'clock in College Station. That's the good news, because that should be a fun series. The bad news is, well, the hourly forecast. 6 p.m. in College Station, a 70% chance of thunderstorms. At 7 p.m., it goes up to 95%. At 8 o'clock, drops down to 90%. At 9 o'clock, 65%. Then it gets pretty reasonable. So, potentially a weather delay. To the start of that ball game tonight, we will wait and see. Sports Talk Mississippi brought to you by Mississippi Land Bank. Online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Uh, if you need to finance a land purchase or refinance an existing loan that you've got, Mississippi Land Bank can help. Maybe it's time to build your dream house in the country. And uh, you've got a little piece of property already. You're ready to begin construction. Well, Mississippi Land Bank can help with the financing on that. Uh, They've been financing land and stuff related to it for over 100 years. Fantastic people. You can find their branch locations online at mslandbank.com, where they know the lay of the land. Glad to have you along this Thursday afternoon. C Spire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395. Again, 601-879-4395. Four three nine five. Hey, Dad, you get your Jim Cantori hat on? <laughs> I've, been, I've been looking at the the Thunder and Lightning Viper radar, and uh, yeah, baseball may or may not happen in Texas uh, this evening. I wonder how long they would push it tonight if it feels like by nine o'clock or so the bad weather will get out and they'll have a window. You would think they would prefer to play Thursday, Friday, Saturday as opposed to two nine inning games tomorrow and then a single nine-inning game on Saturday. I guess the other piece of that is what the forecast looks like for the uh, for the next couple of days, and um, it's not great. Tomorrow, chance of heavy thunderstorms, 90% chance, so they may do everything they can to try and get a game in tonight. I'm, I'm surprised, to be honest with you, they didn't start early, that this game isn't already going on. I wonder if that's TV-related. Yeah, it's got to be. It, it, that's the only excuse to, to not do it. Or they yeah. just wanted the highly sought-after 10-30 first pitch. <laughs> yeah, well. Huge in California. I'll tell you what, I wouldn't mind sit, I mean, it's going to be a really nice night tonight to sit on the back porch and have a beer and watch baseball. That wouldn't be so bad after the starting wife at, goes to bed. Yeah. Starting at 9.30 and rolling to about 1 in the morning. Yeah, there's worse Some things you can do. Some of us have a podcast to record that revolves around the knowing the result of that game. Let's not wish for things like this. Well, then wake up in the morning and do it then. It's not like you got to come to the office all day. I have loyal listeners who will tweet at me angrily if that podcast isn't available first thing a.m. We have listeners that will email us angrily, too, as as we've come to find out. Yeah, Yeah, it wasn't like that. I haven't gotten a handwritten letter in a while, though. I I guess that was 
what, three months ago, the last time we got a handwritten note that was not nice? So I don't know if you shared that with us or not. Oh, I don't think I did. Oh my gosh, I've still got them in my office. They, it was the same letter written to all four of us. What did we do? From a unhappy Southern Miss fan about the Art Bryles situation and how oh. we spoke negatively about Art Bryles. Yeah, it's handwritten. All four of us, individually written, but the same words, just written four times. Oh, so I got well, a letter that you didn't get. That's, that's like it's a sitting in my crime. office right now. I just I, I haven't thought about that's it. That's my until, mail. You got. I'm calling the feds until right Wait, now. But they hold got. Hold on now. That's only a felony if it's addressed to you and he takes it and open it. Opens it. Was, was, it, was, it, was it four individual envelopes or was it yeah, four letters in one envelope? It, it was four letters in one envelope. Ah, uh, okay. You get off sure, it was this rational. time, Borky. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah hey, Dad, still... I don't think you can prosecute. <laughs> Please don't. Uh, I, I've got enough money stuff coming as it is. But, yeah, I've still got them sitting in my office. I can't believe I forgot to tell you guys about that. Uh, Next time I'm in Jackson, I want that. Yeah, I've, want I've got them. Beautiful. Thanks for – so uh, if you were expecting a response from Rippy or Hey Dad or me, uh, our apologies. Borky hasn't delivered the mail. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. my bad on that one. But I don't think after you read it you'll want to give a response. You'll, you'll see. I'll write back. <laughs> just don't dear put nerd. a return address on there R- rippy's gonna start at dear nerd and then go from there it's kind of how you roll west addison that's my uh my return address where is that 1060 west addison Chicago, what is that Illinois. jail and start no it's wrigley field oh there you go uh we got a bunch to get to this afternoon baseball last night in hattiesburg southern miss with a win over Ole miss and it's a good thing that Matt Walder played for Southern Miss last night. Hits two home runs, robs another home run in a 5-3 to three win. Big night for Matt Walder. And, I mean, how, how fitting. We talked yesterday with John Cox about the fact that over the last 10 games or so, Matt Walder really has come to life. He had hit, uh, what, six home runs, six of his 12 in the last 10 games, or last nine games, so make it now... Uh, what, uh, quick math, eight of his 14 home runs in the year have come in the last 10 games for Matt Walner. That is heating up at the right time. Southern Miss has now won nine in a row and 10 of their last 11, and they've got a big series coming up this, uh, this weekend with Florida Atlantic. We will get to that game and some of the details of it coming up in just a little bit. We'll also take a look at the pitching matchup tonight. Keegan James on the mound for Mississippi State, facing off against John Doxakis for Texas A&M. Rest of the SEC, the series that um, we should be watching this weekend. There are a bunch of storylines to uh, to get to as we've got just three weeks remaining in conference play before we roll over to Hoover for the SEC tournament. David DeLucci will join us to talk some baseball in the 4 o'clock hour. Also, Chris Burke will join us. I'm actually really interested to talk to Chris Burke. You know, hey, Dad, Berkey's name was on the list that uh, of guys that Jake Mangum passed yeah. uh, on his way to the all-time hits crown. The interesting thing about Chris Burke is he had over 300 hits in three years at Tennessee. Yeah. If he had played a fourth year, it could be that Chris Burke would be the guy that Jake Mangum had been chasing at the top of that list, and it might have been a lot longer uh, that we would have had to wait to see him uh, try and get to and break the record. No question about that. Yeah, Burke, one of the all-time greats as far as uh, SEC hitters goes. 
Yeah. How about that? Over 300 hits in three seasons. That's pretty remarkable. Yeah. And that's the reason he was drafted and played professionally uh, as well. Uh, pretty interesting piece at The Athletic from Will Salmon. He now is in Gainesville, covers primarily the Florida Gators, uh, but has a story about Joe Moorhead and uh, some interesting stuff. We'll uh, talk with Will Salmon about that story and also maybe kind of look at some of what's in that story and uh, get your takes. Uh, there, there is there's a money quote in there, hey, Dad. Yeah, have have you read the story in its entirety? I have. I have. Um, so talking about Mississippi State going 8-5 and five a year ago and getting the win against Ole Miss and getting to the Outback Bowl, um, there's a line where it says, in previous years such a season would have been deemed an unquestioned success. Last year was different. A segment of Mississippi State's fan base was disappointed because there was a belief that 2018 was the year the Bulldogs built toward. Here's the money quote. It was made out to be that we inherited the 72 Dolphins, close quote. That's how one Mississippi State sca- staffer distri- described the situation a year ago. Hmm. Yeah. I don't remember MSU fans coming up with championship standard, but that's just me. Ooh. Yeah, Mercury, did, did, did Mercury Morris sit back and crack a bottle of champagne? I don't like think he three? popped open a bottle of champagne after the Kentucky game. I'll be totally honest with you. Yeah. Probably uh, probably not. Championship standard. Forky said it wasn't. He he was not the, or excuse me, Haydad said he's not the one that put that out there. Yeah. Um, so Borky has uh, begun to engage on his podcast in tier rankings of football coaches, and we'll take a little bit of a look at that this afternoon as it pertains to uh, to the SEC. wanted to do it on the radio show yesterday. We ran out of time, so I just turned it into a podcast. So I used leftover material from the earlier show that shows you how much time I've spent on that lately. Yeah. Fair enough. Legalized gambling having uh, an impact on NCAA legislation. Will there be a universal injury reporting system this fall? We've already heard from the Big 12 that that could be coming. What do you guys think about that? Just just kind of a quick thought. Injury reports in college football that come out on Friday afternoons. Are you for that? Are you against it? Or do you care one way or the other? Well, I, I'm, I'm smart enough to know, and I think we all are, that coaches will, will mess with that, that it will not be as accurate as we probably would like it to be. And they're allowing it to be pretty vague. If I was a gambler, if, if I actually put – real money down on these games, then I would be absolutely for it because college coaches embellish their injury reports. But if they are held to a standard, maybe it'll help those people that put money on sports. And I'm sympathetic to those guys because I wish I had the money to do that. But it's good for them, that's for sure. Some embellish the reports. Some don't give you anything. Some just tell you we don't talk about injuries. That is correct. I wonder what Florida's injury report will look like. Clean. Nobody's <laughs> You think nobody will ever, ever, ever be hurt? Toronto and Philadelphia, Game 3 in that series tied at 1, coming your way tonight at 7 o'clock on ESPN. Series is back in Philadelphia. C Spire text line open to you. We've got a whole lot coming up with you this afternoon over the next three hours in the Renaissance Bank studio. Baseball last night at the Pete. Big crowd at the ball game, as we expected it would be. Over 5,000 to see Southern Miss and Ole Miss last night in Hattiesburg. 
Southern Miss led one to nothing after the bottom of the second inning. Ole Miss tied it at one in the top of the fourth. Golden Eagles got a couple of runs in the bottom of the fourth inning to go up three to one. Game stayed that way until the top of the seventh when Ole Miss scratched for a couple of runs, made it three to three. But the Golden Eagles would add a solo run or a single run in the bottom of the seventh, and then an insurance run in the bottom of the eighth inning for a five to three win. Story of the game last night was J.C. Keys. He was the winning pitcher for Southern Miss. Uh, pitched the final two and two-thirds innings, struck out six of the eight batters. Well, he faced nine batters. Six of the eight outs he recorded were via strikeout, and he was really, really good last night. Uh, Southern Miss used a total of seven pitchers in the game. Ole Miss's starter Zach Phillips went four innings. Jared Wright, the starter for Southern Miss, went just two innings. Uh, Houston Roth pitched a couple of innings. Max Chofey took the loss. No percentage of an inning. couple of hits. Gave up a, uh, a run. Tyler Myers pitched. Jordan Fowler pitched. And Taylor Broadway pitched at the uh, at the end of the ballgame. Uh, really an impressive performance last night for Southern Miss. Rippy, Mike Bianco, after the game last night, uh, you listened to him on the radio, and he, he was very unpleased with Ole Miss's offensive approach. So we just didn't play well offensively. We pitched well enough to to win a ball game. Southern Miss played well though last night. Yeah, they did. And you I mean if you're Ole Miss, you I mean you muster five hits off a bullpen day essentially for Southern Miss is probably less than ideal. Obviously Matt Walner made a huge difference in the game with two home runs and then taking away another, so like a net three essentially. And then Phillips was okay. Everyone after him was kind of the same. Some good, some bad. But, yeah, I mean, Southern Miss really needed this win, and you know, Ole Miss ties it in the seventh and then just kind of ran out of gas late. Um, Walner hit his first home run in the second inning, and then late in the ball game in the, let's see, I guess it was the bottom of the eighth inning, Walner hit his second home run of the game. So couple of home runs for Matt Walner last night, batting in the five-hole. He was three for four with three runs scored and had a big night, just a, a big night all the way around, and they needed every bit of it from Matt Walner. And you mentioned it a second ago. I think I alluded to it earlier. Uh, robbed a home run as well. Took one away from Cole Zabowski, I think it was, early in the ballgame. Uh, the only player for Ole Miss with more than one hit in the game was Greg Kessinger. He was two for five, but to your point just a second ago, only five hits in the ball game. Do you just attribute that to a nice job on the mound by Southern Miss, or is there something else there? Combination of that and probably a poor approach, as Mike Bianco was upset with afterward, but you know, it happens. The problem is, is they kind of used up all of their wiggle room in terms of these midweek games you know, about a month ago. Yeah, and... You know, when you look at that, I mean, we've talked a lot about how last night was important. It was an RPI opportunity because it was a road series win. Hasn't it just gotten to the point for Ole Miss where, okay, midweek losses kind of are what they are? You got to go take care of business on the weekend if you're going to play yourself into a host spot. Period. Yeah, but it's not going to help them dropping midweek games in terms of trying to get their RPI down around 15. Not a lot of change in the RPI. After uh, after last night's ball game, Warren Nolan has the uh, you know the updated RPI. 
Uh, Ole Miss was at 21 going in. They dropped one spot to 22 uh, after the loss last night. Southern Miss came into that game at 38, and they move up one spot to uh, to 37. So not a ton of movement from an RPI standpoint. I do go back to what I said a second ago, though. Given what Ole Miss has remaining on the schedule, uh, LSU this weekend, who's at 17 in the RPI, Mississippi State, who is at 4 in the RPI, and Tennessee, who's at 9, RPI, if Ole Miss wins series, gets 5 or 6 wins over the final 9 conference games, the RPI is going to take care of itself, right? Presumably, but I mean, there's I, there's no real way to, I guess, forecast it accurately until you figure out how many they win, but like losing a midweek game like that, it's not necessarily going to balloon it upwards, but it was an opportunity to bring it down a bit, and it didn't happen. Yeah. Um, any other takeaways from that ball game last night? Anything on the mound that is concerning? And Max Chofi struggled a little bit. Houston Roth was good. Max Chofi was not. They're going to need one of those guys to be good to have another arm. I mean, they're working with three guys, two guys not named Caracy, and they need at least a third, so they need one of those guys to be acceptable. And eventually they'll have either Hoagland or Phillips out of the pen. they got to figure that out. Sticking with the RPI conversation, Mississippi State sitting at four in the RPI going into this weekend against Texas A&M, who is at 18 in the RPI. And, hey, Dad, I, you know, when, when you're sitting at four, there's not a lot you can do to help yourself out. I mean, I guess you could kind of come back to earth a little bit. But an opportunity for a couple of really good road wins this weekend for Mississippi State in College Station. Yeah, it makes it really simple when you're that high. You just have to keep winning. If you, As long as you're winning, you're going to be okay. Uh, you know, Especially when you know, you've got one, I think Memphis's RPI is in the hundreds, so that might tip it down a little bit even if you get the win. Louisiana Tech, I don't think right now Louisiana Tech is a quadrant one win if you get that when you play them in the midweek. But for right now, yeah, if Mississippi State just wins the games left on its schedule, it doesn't have to win them all, obviously, but if they can go, what do they have, 11 games left. If there's something like 7-4, and four, you know, 8-3, and three, then they're going to be just fine. And even, like we said yesterday, even if they just you know scrape by one series and, and maybe lose another, they're still going to be on the low end of the national seed uh, picture where, where they are right now. Louisiana Tech, by the way, sitting at 56 currently in the RPI. They're 12-9. and nine. In uh, in Conference USA, so that's you know that's a pretty decent team to just pick up uh, a random midweek game late in the season. Obviously, um, we talked about yesterday uh, the fact that it's for a good cause that they're um, going to take up donations at that game to uh, contribute to the tornado relief effort in Ruston and on the Louisiana Tech campus. Um, but that's not just a uh, just a slam dunk at a Tuesday game over in late May. No, especially with the way MSU's midweek pitching has been this year, you know it's it's definitely not a sure thing that they're they're going to just come out and, and dominate and win that game. Uh, Louisiana Tech is more than capable of coming to Starkville and, and finding a way to win. Hey, you know I've only seen the midweek pitching for Mississippi State once this year. It's pretty impressive when I saw it. <laughs> I've seen more, and <laughs> it hasn't been that great. So yeah, I got to tell y'all, listening to y'all talk about Ole Miss this year really reminds me of State in 2014. When they were 18 and 12 in the conference, but they lost a ton of non-conference games. Their RPI, I think, finished the year around 26, 27, and their reward for that was a trip to Louisiana Lafayette and uh, and not being able to host a regional. So, you know what Rippy is saying about, you know these these midweek games, they do add up. And that's the other, the flip side of that coin is MSU this year, 
They've only lost one non-conference game. That is why they are sitting sort of in the catbird seat as far as possibly getting a national seat. 2014, that was the year of what might have been with regard to a uh, to a super regional. You remember Jackson State yeah. beat Louisiana Lafayette in the opener. Uh, Mississippi State was in a good spot. But Lafayette was able to get a couple of wins against them and end up winning the regional. Ole Miss goes to Lafayette for the super regional and earns its only trip to the College World Series under Mike Bianco after losing game one and then coming back and winning the uh, the last two games in that Super Regional down in uh, in Lafayette. That was a crazy environment as well for uh, for that. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. C Spire text line is open, 601-879-4395. Um, there's question, Rippy, on the text line, where is Greer Holston? He he did pitch in the Governor's Cup late in that ball game. Ninth inning. Through the ninth inning, almost trailing in, in that game at the time. Not seen him since. Will you see him on the mound again this year? I guess I wouldn't rule it out completely, but I would be surprised if it's in any situation of consequence. Yeah. Uh, Pat on the Sports Talk Mississippi Twitter feed, Ole Miss non-conference record seventeen and eight, LSU non-conference record sixteen and eight. If Ole Miss wins on Friday night, they will pass LSU in the RPI. If they win two, they'll be several points ahead of LSU in the RPI. Do you look at it as Ole Miss and LSU are playing for a host spot this weekend? Not necessarily, because you can still win the series and not host if you're either one of those teams. I mean, I guess in the sense that like. A loser, it's going to make it a lot more difficult for them to host than yes. But like, I wouldn't say the winner would end up being in the driver's seat to host. It'd be, you know. Do you buy into the idea if their resumes look very, very similar at the end of the year, and they're kind of comparing those two teams for a host spot that they would go to the head-to-head matchup and say, "Well, unless you beat Ole Miss twice, let's give it to them and Alec Box, or Ole Miss won twice, let's give it to them at Swayze." Maybe one way, not the other, because 16, they were battling out for the national seat. Ole Miss had the RPI wins versus top 25 teams and the head-to-head and didn't get the national seed, so who knows? You're saying there might be something to that purple hat with the three letters on it? You said it, not me. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Glad to have you along this afternoon. Let's take a look at Mississippi State A&M when we come back. Little scheduling news as it pertains to television. Uh, ESPN has released what it's going to do with the wild card weekend, which is the last weekend of the regular season. Arkansas, Texas A&M will be on TV on Thursday night on ESPNU. Ole Miss, Tennessee will be on the SEC Network. Friday night you will have bases loaded coverage, and they will bounce around between all seven sites. And then on Saturday, the final weekend of the regular season, again, Ole Miss and Tennessee on the SEC Network and Arkansas, Texas A&M on the SEC Network as well. So all three of Mississippi State's games that weekend will be available on the SEC Network Plus as they host South Carolina Thursday night, Friday night, and then Saturday afternoon as well. And they made the move a few years ago to go to Thursday, Friday, Saturday for everybody on that final weekend to give teams uh, an extra day to get ready for the uh, for the SEC tournament. All right, let's turn the page to College Station, where tonight you've got Keegan James on the mound for Mississippi State. He's three and one with a four thirty six ERA. John Doxakis will pitch for Texas A and M. He's five and two 
with a 181 ERA. Uh, right-hander for Mississippi State, left-hander for Texas A&M. Hey, Dad, we, we've thrown this out, but I'm not sure that we've put numbers that go along with it. Mississippi State has kind of destroyed left-handed pitching this year. Yeah, they, they've done a good job against against the Southpaws. There, there's no question about that. Do you, I don't have the number right up in front of me. Do you have it? I, I've got to go to the NCAA site where it's got all the splits on it, but I think that it's like 350? I mean, that's... That's getting it done. There's no question about that. I mean, they've they've just you know they have good left-handed bats. They have a couple switch hitters in Mangum and, and Jordan. Allen has been good from the left hand the left side. Um, but I mean, State just hits. They're just a good hitting team. Either side of the plate. I mean, they're hitting what three sixteen, three seventeen as a team, something like that. So to me, that's that's the biggest storyline in this uh, in this weekend series. That State is a really good hitting team, and Texas A&M for the most part is not. They're hitting, I think, 259 as a team. It's it's on paper this series, from a numbers perspective, very similar to the Georgia series. Georgia, a great pitching team, but not a great hitting team. A and M looks like they're they're much the same. Um, yeah, that, that's uh, that's an interesting comparison. I guess the difference is Emerson Hancock did not pitch for Georgia, and right. Texas A and M has settled He's in out its again rotation this weekend too. Is he really? Yeah, that changes things for Georgia. Big time, big time. I mean, like I said, watching Georgia last week, I, I didn't even see a team that looked like they would they would be ranked. They just didn't look like a good baseball team. I don't know how much he changes that dynamic for them, but for State, yeah. you know, going tonight with Keegan James, that's talking about changing of dynamics. You know, James is a guy who he pitched all right in, in the in the out, out of conference play to start the year, and he's had some moments in relief, but he's never really been called on in, in a situation like this. So I'm, I'm interested to see how he reacts to that and. And and how Mississippi State you know reacts with him as the uh, as the, the getting the ball in game one because you know I mean I have to imagine the team takes a certain amount of confidence from going out there and they know Ethan Smalls on the mound or JT Ginn and here you are with Keegan James a guy who hasn't you know been in a, a start I don't I don't remember the last game Keegan James started so you know it, it it's going to change the mindset of everybody out there hopefully State can come out there and you know play their game you know, going on the road sometimes it sounds sort of funny but. You know, getting the first at bat and, and getting a chance to get on the board early, if State can do that, that might settle everybody down, and especially Keegan James, and he can go out and have a, a good outing. Yeah, so Keegan James early in the year was in the mix as kind of the number three starter, right? Yeah, he he started. He, he and Peyton Plumley have kind of bounced back and forth in that role? Peyton Plumley started the year as a midweek guy. James got the first, I want to say, I know he started the first two games of the uh the first two Sunday games of the year, he started it against Youngstown State and against USM. Um, against Maine, I, I don't remember if he started that game. I think he did. And then, of course, the Sunday game uh, when they went on the road to that Texas tournament was canceled. Um, and then, when conference play began, I think King James may have started the first the, the Florida game, but from there, it's been sort of a shuffling with him and Peyton Plumley. When you compare the numbers for the starters tonight. Doc Sackis, 5-2. All of his appearances have been starts. He's got a 181 ERA. His whip is 1.04. He's thrown a bunch of innings. Uh, he's only given up 14 earned runs in his 11 starts. 77 strikeouts and 14 walks on the year. And that walks number really ballooned last week. He was at 71 strikeouts and 9 walks on the season prior to the game last week against Ole Miss. So he had six strikeouts but had five walks in that game. 
It, that's fascinating to me because Ole Miss had some really good at-bats against Doc Sackis, and they were able to get him out of the game, I think, in the seventh inning or after the seventh inning. I think he threw seven innings. One of the things that Chris Lamonis has talked about over the last couple of weeks as Mississippi State has swung the bats better is that they've had a better approach at the plate, they've taken more pitches, they've attacked when the opportunity has presented itself, and they've just had generally tougher at-bats. And the approach that Mississippi State had, what was it, at Arkansas, was just, it was bad. You know, and In both series they've lost, I felt like their approach was bad. So, I mean, is that a coincidence? Probably not. Um, but at Arkansas, I just felt like they were just oh, – I like being aggressive at the plate. And, and, but I thought st- and Brian, they, they got away with a bad approach at the plate in winning the series in Knoxville. They didn't swing it well in Knoxville that weekend. No, you're right. They still they, were they, able to win was, the series. It was pitching that really won that series. But – did you just call me Brian? I did. That threw me off. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> it's your name. It is. It is. Um, uh, but yeah, I thought it, in Arkansas they were overly aggressive. You know, they weren't making the, the, the Arkansas pitchers work. And I thought they did sort of the same thing against LSU. Like, you know, Mangum is going to be that way. But some of the other guys in the lineup need to take a couple of pitches here and there and, and let somebody get deeper into the pitch count. So we'll see what happens tonight uh, against a, a quality starter against a team that you know. That you think on paper they're not going to score a lot of runs, so you know that that needs to be the mindset. Hey, if we can get three, four on the board, we have a great chance to win. Yeah, that's really what it feels like the the story is going to be tonight. Mississippi State for the year five and five away from Duty Noble Field and true road games. Can can you score? Can, can you score on Doc Sackis? Because that's a guy that can go out and can throw eight innings. He can go nine innings if his pitch count doesn't get in trouble. I think he is over 100 pitches in each of his last eight appearances, each of his last eight starts for Texas A&M. I'm doing that off the top of my head. It may be off a little bit, but it's not off by months. So he's going to go deep into a game from a pitch count standpoint, and he's got the ability to go out and throw up a whole bunch of zeros. But if you, I, I think your point is a good one. If you can get a little bit of success, if you can have a little bit of success, and I'm not talking about putting nine runs on the board and knocking him out of the game in the fourth inning. If you can scratch for a run early, maybe you throw up a two-spot in the fourth inning, you put four or five runs on the board, three or four runs on the board, and Keegan James is able to kind of give you a special outing tonight, then it's got steel one written all over it. To me, though, the flip side of this thing is if the whole let's start Keegan James and keep um, Ethan Small and JT Ginn in their normal spot in the rotation, if A&M is able to take care of business tonight and win with John Doxakis on the mound, then all of a sudden advantage Texas A&M in terms of winning the series, even though Mississippi State's got two good pitchers going the next two days. Yeah, I'm very interested to see how tonight works in terms of pitching for Mississippi State because, I mean, James isn't a guy that just strikes me as he's going to go out and give you six-plus innings. So you know you're going to have to rely on your bullpen at some point, and then it becomes how much can you rely on him the rest of the weekend. I mean, if Lee Belt goes a couple innings tonight or if Colby White has to go tonight, you know, you're probably not going to see much more than maybe Lee Belt. But Colby White, I think you saw last week, he pitched on Saturday and was lights out. He pitched on Sunday and nearly gave the game away. So, you know, how many innings can you get out of Keegan James? Does Plumlee play a role this week? And I have to assume he'll get a couple of innings somewhere. They just don't want him to go, you know, deep into a pitch count. So we'll see what happens with that. But obviously 
depending on what happens tonight, you may be leaning on Small and Ginn to get you six-plus, seven-plus innings on Friday, Saturday, so you have a chance to win the series. Do you think there's a scenario where Lamonis tonight might go with um, Peyton Plumley as the first guy out of the bullpen? I, I don't think tonight he would. It might be something you might see him tomorrow or Saturday. Tonight, I would be – depending on where James comes out. If James gets you to the fifth, maybe you go to Lee Belt in the sixth and the seventh. But if James can only get you to the third – that strikes me as maybe Brandon Smith or Jack Egan has to come in and give you a couple of innings before you can get into the back end of the bullpen. This may sound like a bad question or a dumb question because I think I know the answer to it, but is Cole Gordon still the closer? You know, we asked Lamonis about that, and, and he, he you know gave us a, sort of a coach-speaky answer about, you know, it depends on matchups and this, that, and the other. But the last couple of games, Colby White has come in and become, you know, been the last guy out of the bullpen, so... I don't know that they have a true closer, but I think option A for that right now might be Colby White. Hmm. Do you think they trust Cole Gordon to go get three outs in the ninth inning to win a game? I think so. I think they. I don't think it's a trust issue. I think it's that Colby White throws 95-96, and if he can develop, a, as he, he's started to develop a little bit of a breaking ball, that's pretty effective. That's something you want out there in your closer. Colby White, 36 strikeouts, five walks this year. That's not bad at the back end of the bullpen. No. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. In the- just after 4 o'clock with you on this Thursday afternoon. Weekend just around the corner. Richard Cross, Brian Scott Rippey, Brian Haydad, Michael Borky in the studio. Glad to have you along. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. If you have got your eye on a piece of property, whether it is recreational or for agriculture, Mississippi Land Bank can help you with the financing of that piece of property. Go talk to them about it. And the interesting thing about it is maybe you haven't found that recreational piece of property yet, but you're in the market for it. Go talk to the folks at Mississippi Land Bank. They deal in land in North Mississippi every single day. So maybe you you, you pop into the Starkville office and uh, you say, hey, Bart, I, uh, I'm thinking somewhere in the 25 to 50 acre range, and this is give or take what my budget is. And he might say, Oh, I know a spot's got, uh, it's got a little creek running through it. It's got uh, a few hardwoods, some pine on there, and the deer and turkey are great. And then boom, you found a piece of property. You can do the financing with Mississippi Land Bank, and everybody wins. Great people at Mississippi Land Bank online. Again, you can find them at mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. All right, Borky, explain to me exactly what it is we're doing here with the tiering of football coaches. Yeah, so instead of just ranking them 1 through 14, I feel like that's that's not doing them justice. I want to put them into tiers. Uh, And you can label them however you want. The, The ones I chose were elite, fast risers, uh, plateau coaches, meh, and jury still out or undecided. So I, I pick five tiers, but tier them however you want. SEC coaches. And uh, I had five tiers, and I actually put Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher in the same category only because they both have a title. Nick Saban is obviously in a god tier on his, by himself among league coaches, but put the SEC coaches, all 14 of them, in your level, in your tier level. Okay. Um, 
Should we start at the top? Yeah, start at the top. And it's an easy one, but start there. Yeah, I, I'm not I'm not willing to put Jimbo Fisher in the same category as Nick Saban yet. Yes, the the thing that they have in common that no other coach in the SEC has is a national championship. The difference is the number of national championships, and Nick Saban has six, and Jimbo Fisher has one. Congratulations on the one. That puts you in a really small group nationally. What was it last year? You only had three coaches. And now with Les Miles back, you have four. Well, you also got Mac Brown at North Carolina. Oh, yeah, Mac so Brown five. is back. So, so still, a really small number of guys who have won a national championship, period. But to say that Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban belong in the same category, for me right now, not so much. No, that yeah, that, yeah, and that's why I said Nick Saban's in a tier of his own, but just for the sake of what I did, I both put them on the elite SEC coach tier because they both have a title, but Saban is in a class of his own in the league. Here would be the interesting question to me is if if your second tier includes Jimbo Fisher, is he in that tier all by himself because he has a national championship and nobody else does, or are you okay with putting other coaches in the same category, the same tier as Jimbo Fisher? I'd be okay with both uh, on on my podcast this morning, I separated them. So I put Jimbo Fisher ahead of who I had Kirby Smart and Dan Mullen also in a tier of their own. One, because they haven't done it yet, and Jimbo did it for longer. He was a consistent winner at Florida State for longer than really Kirby Smart's been able to do so in the first place. But um, And even though Dan Mullen did an exceptional job at Mississippi State in his first year at Florida, exceeded everybody's expectations, they still have yet to do it. And I think crossing that threshold should keep you above those who haven't. Um, I get what you're saying there. And, and I don't have any, any real argument with that. Um, I for do me, think... For me, in, in, the, in this year, in 2019, I'm putting Jim Fisher behind Smart. I mean, I get that he has a national title, but look how Florida State fell apart under his leadership. They completely fell apart. If if Saban retired today, I'm out. Alabama would still be really, really good for depending on who they hired. But in all likelihood, even a, a bad coach could carry them to good seasons with the talent he has stockpiled. Florida State is a mess. So for me, Kirby Smart, national championship or no, I'm putting him ahead of Jimbo Fisher. And and really, Florida State was a mess while Jimbo Fisher was still there. Yeah. It, it started to go bad on him, and then it just it bottomed out. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I don't disagree with that, but I probably would go with a, a second-tier level. Nick Saban all by himself. Kirby Smart, yes. Jimbo Fisher, yes. Dan Mullen's close. I don't think he's there quite yet. I think he's a really good football coach. And if we have this conversation two years from now, my guess is that Dan Mullen is in that group. I just don't think he's quite there yet. Because the most games he's ever won in a season is 10. He's never played for an SEC title. He's never won a division championship. He's never been part of the college football playoff. He has been to one Access Bowl 
and got boat raced in that. He's been to two. He went to one this year. Oh, that's right. They played in the they played in the uh, the Chick Fil A Bowl Peach in Big Michigan. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's right. Um. That's right. It's back. Is it back to the Peach Bowl now? Yes, yeah, the Peach Bowl now. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I forgot about that. Um. Don't forget the corporate sponsor. <laughs> yeah. Well, I gave corporate sponsor and not the Peach. <laughs> so I, I I've been thoroughly brainwashed. Chick Fil A has enough of my money. It'll be okay with me not mentioning their name. Yeah. I. I Please understand, I am not downgrading Dan Mullen. For a long time, I probably would have downgraded Dan Mullen. I just don't think he's quite there yet, but he is absolutely on the cusp. Here's where y'all are going to disagree with me, I think. Gus Malzahn goes in that group. Yeah, looking at Borky's list, I think Malzahn is too low. He's got Malzahn on the same tier with Barry Odom, Muschamp, and Joe Moorhead. I have changed that since then. But, guys, Gus Malzahn... His boosters are trying to fire him. They're trying to come up with... If his buyout wasn't ridiculous, he wouldn't be the coach there anymore. What has he done since Nick Marshall was there back in 2013? Why, why are we discounting that? Well, he What's won Jimbo Fisher done since he won ago. a national championship at Florida State? His next three years, he won 10 games or more after that. Malzahn won the West two seasons ago. And then what I'd, happened? Well, I mean, I'd probably bump Malzahn to Georgia and then lost well, like, to UCF. Well, uh, whose resume is whose resume is more decorated? Like uh, to me, Malzahn's resume is more decorated than Orgeron and Stoops. Yeah. I, Stoops okay. Is too let, high too. let me do, let me let's do this. Let, let's do this so that you because you're obviously not looking at the same list we're looking at. The list that that Borky has here, he's got Nick Saban one, tier two Jimbo Fisher by himself, tier three, and he's got six here: Kirby Smart, Dan Mullen. Tier four, Ed Ogeron, Mark Stoops. Tier five, Will Muschamp, Barry Odom, Gus Malzahn, Joe Moorhead. And then tier six, Matt Luke, Derek Mason, Jeremy Pruitt, and Chad Morris. We're looking at the same thing. I have the same thing that that you just said. I know you do. I'm talking about the thousands of people across the state of Mississippi who might be in their cars that don't have access to the list. We don't have the same thing here. I thought you were talking about me. No, I said you don't have... No, that was a big collective. You don't have this list in front of you. Okay, then. Yeah. So we're no, no, we're 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 good. All right. So 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 that's kind of what Borky's laid out. So I would agree with Nick Saban all by himself. I'd put Jimbo and Kirby, and again, this is where you're disagreeing with me, Borky. I would put Gus there based on his entire body of work. It's hard to argue against that. I just think lately you have seen a significant drop-off from Gene Chizik's players and Nick Marshall. He has yet to have competent quarterback play that lasts. Jarrett Stidham regressed, and his boosters want him fired. I think the way it has gone the last few years has got to be taken into account. Yeah, but what crazy boosters want can't really factor in. Hey, it's just it's more about expectations being in the same state as Alabama, is it not? Yeah. Auburn expectations are Especially bad. in relation to the way they've recruited. He's underachieved. That is undeniable. Now he's underachieved, but he is not in the same tier with Will Muschamp. Yeah, on, on, on that we agree. We're going to circle back to this in the 5 o'clock hour at the College Football Fix because I think there's some interesting stuff. And when you look at the raw numbers for Gus, yeah. Play the national championship game in 13, 8 and 5, 7 and 6, 8 and 5. 
jumped back up and went 10-4 and four with a uh, tie for first in the West, and then last year fell back to 8-5. and five. He says they're going to be really good this year and started beating that drum at the end of last season. I need to see a little bit more before I'm on board with that. Chris Burke from ESPN's College Baseball and the SEC Network joins us next. Sports Talk Mississippi with you Thursday afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Right now we go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. This weekend in College Station with the broadcast tonight is the color analyst, Chris Burke from the SEC Network and ESPN's coverage of college baseball. Burke, what's up, man? What's happening? What's happening? Sorry for the background music. I hope you guys can hear me all right. We're good. Hey, have you got your Jim Cantori hat out? Are we going to be able to play baseball tonight? Uh, it's not looking great. Uh, the problem is it's kind of a conundrum for the staff because apparently tomorrow is like a total wash. So there's a there's a bit of pressure to try to get this one in. Um, but it's looking like about 7.30 could be uh, red and yellow, as Ben McDonald would say. So we'll see. Mm. Uh, I think it's more heat on A&M than Mississippi State. Mississippi State's going with Keegan James. So, if, you know, if he gets burned after three innings, it's not the end of the world. But A&M's going with Doc Takis, and the last thing they want to do is get him hot and then, you know, have torrential rain in the third or something like that. So, could, could, they put, could, could they potentially push it back? I mean, it looks like the forecast gets a little bit better at 9, 9.30 and, and start the, just start the game late. I don't know. That I, I know they're exploring all those options. Uh, the other issue here is, and this isn't in, in you know back in, in in our day, this used to be a problem. But these days, drainage is so great at all these facilities. You don't think about this anymore. But apparently, A and M got some drainage problems in their center field. So if it dumps for a couple hours, hmm. there could be an issue with standing water in center field that takes a decent amount of time to resolve. So. I don't know. The the the, uh, the short answer is, I guess we'll just wait and see. Yeah, fair enough. Standing water in center field might be the only thing that slows Jake Mangum down. I, I know you've had a chance <laughs> to visit with him. I know you've been following along, not just this year, but his career. And Chris, I, it was interesting to me, kind of looking at the the guys who are on that list that that he's passed over the last few months to to get to this all time hits record in the SEC. Your name was on there, and it was just three years for you, right? That's right. Yep. Do, do you realize yeah, that? I mean, any, anybody can get three fifty in four years. I mean, come on, man, do it in three. <laughs> well, that, that's what I was wondering about. Was I mean, have you ever given any thought to if you had played a fourth year that you very well could have gone over four hundred hits and could have had a chance to chase the all-time hits record in college baseball? Um, I honestly, I never gave it a second of thought until this whole deal, and then you think about it. Um, I, I, you know, I, I think the the. Um, you know, it is what it is, right? I mean, I wouldn't trade my career for anything, but I I do. I, I did say, even at the time, I, I wish college baseball was friendlier to uh, coming back for your senior year. You know, in NFL football, nobody loses money by coming back for their senior year, right? Because, yeah. you know, if you're first-round pick, it's slotted, and you're going straight to the, the highest point of your sport. Uh, but in, in Major League Baseball, you, you know, you, you you feel like you have to go, and um, and so that's that's the only thing that's a bit not, not even talking about me specifically, but just kids in general. You're almost you're almost forced to forego your senior year if that makes sense. But um, you know, I think I think Jake gets a ton of credit just for look 355 hits. I mean, 
I was doing the math today. You know, Braden Shoemaker, who we all know following this league, has been fantastic from the day he stepped on campus. He's got 231 hits, and he leads active juniors in America. Um, wow. And you think about it, you know, let's say they lose at some point in the NCAA tournament, he's probably going to get 20, maybe 30 more hits. He'll be at 260. You know, if he came back for his senior year, he'd have to get – I mean, because Jake's going to finish with, what, 380, 390? I mean, he might get to 400. You never know. So that's how far away Snake would still be. Um, and, of course, Jake's done all of that in a in an era where the bat is not nearly as good as the ones he's played with. So Jake deserves a ton of credit. You mentioned a second ago that because of the weather tonight was really important for Texas A&M, but this feels like an entire weekend that, that's really important for the Aggies, given the fact that they got swept on the road uh, at Ole Miss last weekend, uh, that Mississippi State's sitting there at 13-8. and eight. A&M's still kind of in the, the conversation for being a potential host, but they're running out of opportunities to, to get good wins down the stretch. Yeah, that's a big one, um, no doubt. You know, they're, they're leaking oil a little bit. The offense is always going to be a bit of a question. I tell you what's hurting them is their defense. You know, last week, I don't know, were you there for that series last week where they, you know, really cost themselves in that old Miss series uh, yeah. on the defensive defensive side of things? And they they are a team that just doesn't have margin for error. You know they're gonna you know they're gonna get quality pitching, but the offense is a struggle, and um, if they don't defend. They're, they're, they're going to have real problems, and they can get swept. Um, and so I think that's the primary concern is, is, is yeah, they, they want to swing the bats better. And I don't know if you saw Rob switch his lineup on, on Tuesday and put Shoemaker in the leadoff spot, and he got four hits, and they scored 15 runs. And so they're hoping that kind of spurs them. Uh, but really, first and foremost, they gotta, they've got to defend better. And, um, you know, at this point, I think it's, it's all about getting to that 15-win number get to 15 wins, then they can breathe a little bit. And as they proved a few years ago, um, you can go to anybody's regional and win it. You might find yourself in Omaha. You just never know. Hey, Chris, it's Brian Haydad. Looking at this series, we were talking about it a few minutes ago, and A&M, you know, not the best hitting team in the SEC. If both teams are you know, just a little bit off pitching-wise this week, is A&M a team that can outscore Mississippi State over three games? No, no. Matter of fact, you know, I'd be shocked if, you know, if they, depending on how tonight goes, if they're able to muster much against uh, Small and Ginn, right? So their formula has got to be three to two, four to three, um, and and hope they catch Mississippi State uh, with a wind blowing in. You know, if they can get that that northern wind, that northeast wind, where the ballpark plays big. And because the truth is, they've got their, their two lefties are as good as anybody in America. I mean, they're right there with with Ken and Small as far as dominant strikeout kind of guys. So um, they're, they're hoping that the pitching and defense kind of weekend, and um, that they're not having to lean on their their offense because you know there's only a team or two in the in the league that can swing the bat with Mississippi State. Berkey, are you okay with what Lamonis did with with his rotation this weekend, leaving his other two guys kind of where they are, and then saying, "Look, we're in, we're in pretty good shape. We're not going to mess anything up. We're going to go Keegan James and, and just take our chances against Oxacus." Well, they've moved Small up a couple times already, and I think they're they're just they're trying to keep the uh, the long game in mind and understand that this was finals week for them, and so there's a lot on these kids' plate. I think Small has been pushed up 
uh, either the last two weeks or two of the last three weeks, maybe. And so um, they're just trying to manage that. I don't think there was no issue. I think Small could have gone if they wanted to, but it was more of just trying to be wise and um, understanding that it's been a it's been a heavy workload for him to this point, and then you throw the, the finals deal in the mix, and they just felt like it was the most prudent thing to do. And so, yeah, I, I don't look. I mean, if weather holds, they could end up with Small and Ginn on uh, Saturday in two seven inning games, and uh, that would be a scary proposition for for A and M. Yeah, no question about that. Chris Burke from ESPN, the SEC Network, on your radio. Uh, let's jump away from College Station just for a second. The, uh, the the series in Baton Rouge this weekend, Ole Miss and LSU. And it's interesting to me, Palmineri has always done a good job at kind of pushing the right buttons at the right time of the year to get his team playing the best. It's completely shaken up the pitching rotation, going Mikhail Hilliard and then Eric Walker and then Landon Marceau. Is this a desperation move or is this punch, punching the right buttons? Uh, I don't think they're in desperation mode uh, by any means. I, I just think Paul and Allen, as you said, have historically shown the ability to have a feel for their roster, have a feel for their arms, and manipulate things the way they they see fit. And, um, you know, the decisions they make are usually very calculated, and let's be honest, usually work out. Uh, yeah. And one thing's for sure, they're going to have to pitch well to beat that old Miss club because old Miss is just – you know, it's one of the deepest, scariest lineups in the league. So uh, it's going to be a, a, a battle, one of the classic SEC battles this weekend in Baton Rouge, and one I'm really looking forward to following because you got two teams playing pretty well, two programs that uh, are right in a position to host, and even potentially, I mean, let's be honest, if you've got 13 wins in the league right now, you still got a chance to be a national seed. Uh, you'd have to finish probably 6-3, and three. But you get yeah. 19 wins in the league, you're going to be a national seed. That's just all there is to it. So both of those clubs have all their dreams still right in front of them. Um, and so it's going to be a battle, for sure. Murky, 30 seconds left. Your Vols, they got a chance to get back to the postseason for the first time since 05, but they've got some work to do. Can they get it done over the final three weeks? It's not an easy road. It's not. Um, I think this weekend, really, you know, the great thing about this league that's so cool to follow it is, them and, and Missouri and Florida, they're, they're playing postseason games starting right now. The rest yeah, of the way, every game they play is pretty much a postseason game. And so Tennessee, Missouri this weekend will 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 be well. It'll have a super regional kind of feel to it. Honestly, uh, two programs that are trying to get back into postseason mix and wins are hard to come by. So you know, if you look at it, I think the math is not in their favor. They're going to have to go even at five and four. They're going to have to hope to get in on 14 wins, even though I think there aren't guys good enough to do that. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think that the odds are against them to do that, but uh, their pitching has proven that they'll be in all those games. And I'm certainly pulling for them, but I, I think it's, it's, a, it's a tall task at this point with, at 9 and 12. Thanks for your time, my man. You got it. Thanks, guys. Thursday afternoon with you on Sports Talk Mississippi. Good chat with Chris Burke from College Station just a few minutes ago. And now glad to have our buddy David DeLucci from the SEC Network, ESPN, and co-host of Rally Cap on the SEC Network on uh, on Sunday nights. What's up, bud? Man, all's great down here. I'm in Baton Rouge right now. And uh, there's a lot of buzz about this series uh, with the Rebels coming into town. 
We were just talking to Berkey a second ago about the weather in College Station and how it really doesn't look good. Is the weather going to hold up in Baton Rouge this weekend? Looks fine right now. It, it rained this morning. But we're getting to the part of the spring, early summer where you're going to get some thunderstorms move in. But uh, I think, I mean, I hadn't looked at it, but right now it looks gorgeous. Yeah, looks like it's going to be okay this uh, this weekend, so that's good news. So you said there's some buzz about it. I, I think it's big for both LSU and Ole Miss. Um, LSU kind of changes up the rotation this weekend. They go Mikhail Hilliard tomorrow night. Uh, they're going to go with uh, Eric Walker on Saturday, and then the freshman landed Marceau on Sunday, and now have pushed Zach Hess back into the bullpen I'm curious to get your thought. Is this one of those times where Paul Maneri's pushing just the right buttons, or is this a desperation move for LSU late in the year? I think that it's uh, it's it's a move to uh, put uh, Zach Hess in a position where he is going to going to be successful and help the team out. This this part of the year, um, I believe both LSU and Ole Miss are are needing every single win that they can they can get and by moving Hess into the bullpen it basically gives them an option uh he he may not be their closer i think Fontenot has been doing an outstanding job of closing the games for him but he can throw long relief uh or he can come in short relief combine him with Fontenot and Peterson and that gives them the best opportunity uh for mid part of the game and late part of the game this move allows LSU to win every single ball game. Uh, whereas if you had Zach Hess as your Friday night starter, it was basically hit or miss as to what you were going to get out of him. And, and if he did not throw well on a Friday, that was a, that was an L. And, um, and we're this part of the season, these teams are playing for the opportunity to, to host a regional, which is gigantic when it's all said and done. They know they're neck and neck with Ole Miss, and, and A&M is right behind both of those teams. So Maneri is trying to put himself, instead of winning series, he's trying to win every single game. David, who's the team right now that you're most impressed with in the SEC? Uh, right now, right this minute, Arkansas has put up almost 12 runs every game their last 11 games. Um, the pitching staff is coming around. They're, they're getting some good efforts out of their, their number two and number three starters. That was a question mark for them early in the season. Other than Isaiah Campbell, you just didn't know what you were going to get out there. Uh, the offense has surprised a lot of people. I think everybody thought they were going to be good, but this good um, rivals what they did last year. So I am, I am really, really surprised. This is a, a team that has gotten better. Uh, as the season's gone on, Casey Martin and uh, Heston Kerstead are their top two hitters, and they're absolutely annihilate, annihilating the ball. Um, so to me, you know, that's a team that, that's kind of been hanging around the top, and then at the right moment they've, they've kicked it in gear. And they're, they're, they're not just winning, they're killing people. Yeah. Um, impressive sweep last weekend. In fact, sweeps and back-to-back weekends. When we talked a couple of weeks ago, you said you thought Georgia was really good. You, you had seen them in a weekend series. I think you had seen them in a midweek game as well. Haydad saw them last weekend in Starkville, and obviously they were without Emerson Hancock, and they kind of ran into a buzzsaw with Mississippi State's offense. But Brian was saying that you know his observation was I mean, this doesn't look like a team that's even a host. I mean, obviously their numbers are such where it's likely that they're going to host. 
Should Georgia be in panic mode right now? I don't think they should be in panic mode just yet, but I think they should be concerned. And and let, let's not devalue what a Friday night starter does for, for the rest of the weekend. I mean, Georgia, Georgia got to the point where they're at right now, and they became a top-five team by playing great defense and having superior pitching. Um, yeah. When you lose your Friday night guy, when you lose a guy that could potentially be a first pick in the draft, in the 2020 draft, that's big, man. That sets the tone for the rest of the weekend. And and let's not forget, too, not only did they lose him, but they've lost their closer slash third baseman who's hitting over 300, and he's got nine or ten saves on the year. So you've lost Aaron the Schunk, beginning yeah. and the end of the game. That's that's huge. Um for for a team that doesn't put up a whole lot of runs, so so you're taking their strong point, you're taking it away from them, and you're asking them to change what they do best. And I said it from all along: it's not a team that's going to hit home runs and slug with with Arkansas or anybody else to score ten runs. They just don't do that. So what they really need to do is get those two guys back, and it will to- totally turn them around. Take nothing away from Mississippi State; they've been playing awesome. And I think Mississippi State would beat anybody in the country the way they played last weekend. But Georgia does need to get some guys healthy in order for them to finish strong. The the other team at the top that it, in some ways, I know this is crazy considering that some people had them ranked as the number one team in the country coming in. But Vanderbilt for you know the first six weeks of the season didn't feel like a, a number one team. They've kind of shifted it into the into gear and might have the most favorable finishing schedule of anybody in the SEC, I wouldn't be shocked if they ran the table over the final three weeks and, and got it up to like 24 wins in the league. Is that crazy with this Vanderbilt team, or are you buying that? No, I'm, I'm, I don't think that's crazy. I am buying it. You know, Vandy and, and Arkansas. Arkansas has LSU and, and A&M to finish the season. That, that's two very, very tough teams right now. Uh, Vandy, what they have done is, uh, is they have, have developed – Kumar Rocker, uh, that mm-hmm. was a hit or miss, uh, didn't know what you were going to get out of him on a Sunday, to now they've moved him to Saturday because he's been pitching so well. And you've got Raby uh, that's that's uh, had an outstanding year. He, he's setting career records and school records. The, the starting pitchers are fantastic. Fellows is leading the SEC in, uh, in wins as a starter. The question mark for them was the bullpen – which you can X that off because they've been pitching really well. They stopped walking, guys. Tim Corbin develops his staff to get stronger as the season goes on. And whether the guys behind J.J. Bleday were going to hit well enough to protect him, and they've been killing the ball. So you've got Austin Martin in, in, in the top of the lineup that gets on base. You've got J.J. Bleday that's got 21 home runs, and you've got – you know, three through seven behind him that have all recorded multiple hits the last several games. Uh, you can't pitch around anybody and the pitching staff that has been lights out. You're right. This Vanderbilt team, uh, is, is, is probably one of the most feared teams from every aspect, offense, defense, and fielding, uh, in the nation. I don't care what anybody's saying about the Pac 12. UCLA is number one. I'd love to see UCLA and Vanderbilt match up now. In, in in two months from now because it's going to be awesome. Yeah. Hey, Berkey was saying a second ago, and I thought this was really an interesting way to look at it, that with, with Tennessee 
and Missouri and Florida, the postseason for them starts right now because every single game matters. Is that a fun way to play your final three weeks of the regular season where the stakes are so high every time you step on the field? Or is that too much pressure? Is it exhausting? It, it, is, it is fun for a veteran team. It is exhausting for a young team, and, and especially a team that's trying to get over the hump and prove themselves. Now, Florida has been there and done that. Hopefully they've got some, some older guys on that team that can, can teach and guide the young players on how to handle themselves from here on out. I think Florida has the experience of that group. But a team like Tennessee and a team like Missouri, both those teams depend on their pitching staff. They don't score a whole lot of runs, even though Missouri has has some really hot bats as of late. They're trying to prove themselves, and they're trying to overcome the fact that those two programs have not been in this situation for years. And sometimes you use more energy to get to the same spot uh, as a team that knows how to conduct themselves. You use more energy to get over the hump and prove to yourself and everybody else that, that you're going to win, that takes its toll. It takes its toll more on a pitching staff than it does an offense. And Missouri and Tennessee de- depend heavily on those pitching staffs. If you look at Florida, it's a team that's hit their way to this point. The pitching staff is, can only get better because they're last in conference play at ERA. <laughs> so I think this, this situation bodes better for Florida than both those two teams. But they're still very, very, very good teams that deserve a shot in the postseason. And it's all going to be about their record because that's what the committee is going to look for is a conference record that's 15 and 15 or above. You know, 16 gets you in. 15 is questionable like Mississippi State was last year. Anything under that is going to be hard for them. Yeah, interesting stuff. Hey, in 20 seconds, there are only three bad teams in the league, South Carolina, Auburn, and Alabama. Or South Carolina, uh, Kentucky and Alabama, they're all 5-16. and 16. Which of those three is going to be the last team that makes it to Hoover? Oh, that's a great question. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I, you know, I'll let you think on that one if you want man, to. That's an awesome question. I, I think – don't count out Alabama, man. They had a good series against LSU. Uh, Kentucky only has really – you know, Zach Thompson has been the bright spot on their pitching rotation. Uh, South Carolina has been. Man, I asked really a bad strong. question that you didn't have time to answer. We got to run, I'm brother. Thank Bama. you so much for your time, Bama. Delucci. Thank you. See ya. Sports Talk Mississippi. Ooh, yeah. Just after 5 o'clock, Thursday afternoon, glad to have you along on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott, Rippy. That's a lot of Brian's. We're glad to have you uh, with us this afternoon. You can text the show on the C. Say what? I'm a lot of Brian. <laughs> but you're less Brian than you used I'm to be. I'm less Brian than I used to be, yeah. Text line open, 601 879 uh, The C Spire tech, mo- uh, tech movement is moving our region forward through teaching and technology that strengthens our economy positions it for success in today's digital age, and improves the quality of life in our communities. Join the movement today at cspire.com slash techmvmt. Cspire, customer inspired. It's time right now for the College Football Fix. I love that music. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com. 
Find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. The F-150, 42 consecutive years as the number one selling truck in America. You can test drive one today at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. So, Borky, I want to go back to your tiering of the SEC football coaches. Yeah, and let me make mine the way I did it this morning. So what I put in the notes was just an example of how I wanted you guys to do it. So the way I ended up tiering SEC football coaches for me was Nick Saban, tier of his own, but I put Jimbo Fisher in the category of the few elite coaches in the country. So Nick Saban won, Jimbo two, Kirby Smart, Dan Mullen in tier three, Orgeron, Stoops, Malzahn in Tier 4, Muschamp, Odom, uh, Derek Mason in 5, and then 6 was the unknowns. So either too early to tell, jury's still out, Moorhead, Luke, Morris, and Pruitt. All four of those guys, first year head coaches, Matt Luke, two years, but first year was as an interim basis. And he also had, he's just now getting out of Hugh Freeze's sanctions. So I also took that into account for unknown. Okay. Where do you think two years from now Matt Luke will be and Joe Moorhead will be on this list? Ooh, that's well, a they good better question. be higher or they're going to be unemployed. I mean, that seems pretty simple. Also a good point. Here's a counter question. How long are Rich Rodriguez and Mike McIntyre at Ole Miss? You think this could be like a one-year reclamation project for them? They come in, have a good season, and some school swipes them up as a head coach? Well, either that, but if they're there for, let's say, two years, I think with those two guys, they can start being really competitive again. I'm not talking about winning the SEC West or anything, but competitive. Winning eight, nine games. like Maybe working their way to try to get to an access bowl if those two guys stick around for more than a year. I think they could make all the difference. Yeah, it's more talent in there first, in my opinion. I mean, but, they did but, sign a class that was better than Mississippi State's this year. Hey, man, I'm not the one saying Mississippi State's going to an access bowl. I didn't say they were going either. I'm just saying, you know, talent is an issue for both of these teams right now. It's they, they, neither one of them are have a roster that's that's set to really win nine, ten games in the next couple of years. I don't. And think. it and it feels like right now it's harder to recruit than it ever has been. I mean, Alabama's doing their thing. And, and their thing is going to have them as one or two or three in the recruiting rankings every single year. I know it's early to be looking at recruiting rankings, but guess who's number one in the country right now? LSU. That would be, that would be LSU and the fighting Ed Ogerons. Yeah. And last and, season, with all the elite talent that was in Mississippi, State and Ole Miss, I mean, they got some players, but, I mean, a lot of those guys went out of state. You know, Auburn – Seems to cherry pick a couple of guys most years. And Auburn, I mean, look, Auburn's going to continue to recruit well. They're going to do whatever it takes to try to keep pace with Alabama. Clearly, they're not keeping pace with Alabama, but they're they're doing the best they can. And they're going to do whatever they think it takes to do that. And if that means firing Gus Malzahn and having to pay him 20 or $25 million to go away, they'll do that. They almost did it last year when it was going to take $30 million for him to go away. And they'll do whatever they've got to do to get guys in to recruit. That's a, It's a pretty good roster. And I don't know if you saw the news yesterday, but 
Gus Malzahn said that his starting quarterback against Oregon is either going to be Joey Gatewood or Bo Nix. So Malik um, Miller. Was it Miller? Isn't it? Pretty sure. Yeah. He, he He's not in the mix to be the starter. This is a guy who's kind of been the backup for the last couple of years. Now he's a running back. What is that kid's name? Is it Mal- is Mal- Malik Henry? Henry. No. That's, he was at Florida State. Wasn't that the yeah. last chance of you, kid? Yeah, you may be right. Anyway. Willis. Willis. There it is, Malik Willis. Thank you. Third time's the charm. I mean, I started to go with Newman. I knew that wasn't right. <laughs> Just couldn't come up with the, yeah, Malik Willis. Um, it's, well, and, you know, when we're talking about recruiting, I mean, Texas A&M. So, so you know, what, what what's your best hope right now if you're Ole Miss or Mississippi State from a recruiting standpoint? It's to finish fifth in the West. Because you're not catching Bama, you're not catching LSU, you're not catching A&M, and you're probably not catching Auburn. Fifth in the West in recruiting could still be like a top 15 class. So you can you're still exactly win. right. You can still win eight games with that and be happy. Like, like I've always said with State, and this is something that I've always believed, and I, I think it's true for Ole Miss too, is in a five-year cycle, you should have Three seasons where you're between seven and nine wins. Maybe you had a tough loss. Maybe you had a lucky win. You have one year where maybe you got to step back to six wins, maybe even five wins. And then you, you should have one year in there where you're able to jump up, the stars align, and you can get to ten wins and get into one of the top-tier bowl games. That is about right now where both of those two programs live. But to my point earlier, you don't need 10 wins to get into an access bowl anymore. Auburn made the Sugar the Sugar Bowl with four losses, and they made the Sugar Bowl. You, you don't have you to. You might need it with if you're Mississippi State or Ole Miss. Well, and it all depends well, it on where you fall in the, the college football playoff rankings. Right. I mean, State yeah. would have gotten in with nine wins last year. If they had beaten Florida or beaten Kentucky, they probably would have been in an access bowl. Yep. Probably in the Sugar Bowl instead of Auburn. Yeah, I mean, I have to go back and look because you know the, it's, it's the Sugar Bowl takes the highest rated SEC team outside of the playoff. You're thinking so two know. years ago with the Auburn Sugar Bowl, Georgia was in it last year. Yeah, Georgia was this past year. So yeah, yeah, that's right. They wouldn't have been ahead Georgia. They would have been Atlanta. State would have been in Atlanta playing Michigan instead of Florida. Yeah. And that's in a year where people are disappointed because they underachieved considering the defense. So the, getting to an access bowl is still difficult, but it's it's not like the BCS was years ago. It's a little bit easier now. It's like making the Cotton Bowl now, what the Cotton Bowl used to be. Obviously, it is an access bowl now. But that that's kind of the equivalent of what making an access bowl is now. It's a little. It's just a little bit easier. And it doesn't take 10-2, to get there. We've seen that. All right. Let's talk about a guy in the East for a second. You certainly have to be grading on a curve if you want to bump this guy out of the bottom tier of coaches in the SEC. But given the fact that Vanderbilt has been to bowl games in two of the last three seasons, and given what a train wreck the first year for Derek Mason was in Nashville, are we kind of underestimating 
what he is as a coach. Now, again, when I ask that, it can't be just based on his record. Because there's so many constraints you deal with in being the head coach at Vanderbilt. But he's gone three and nine, four and eight, and people wanted him gone. Then they go six and seven, get to the Independence Bowl and lose. Five and seven in 2017, and then six and seven with a loss to Texas in 2018. They didn't lose to Texas in a bowl game last year. Wikipedia is lying to me. Who did Vanderbilt play in a bowl game last year? Baylor, right? Yes. Yes. That sounds right. That's yeah. right. But, no, you're exactly right, though. We are underselling what Derek Mason has become as a coach, and he's also been really good against Tennessee, his in-state rival, which means something. I would have Mason ahead of Will Muschamp. Do you remember we had a, a beat writer for Vanderbilt on leading into the Ole Miss-Vanderbilt game last year? And there was some conversation that Derek Mason could have been out if Vanderbilt had lost that game to Ole Miss. They beat Ole Miss. They beat Tennessee at the end of the year. They get to another bowl game. And all of a sudden, we're talking about, is he a better coach than he's getting credit for? Look, bowl games in two out of the last three years at Vanderbilt's an accomplishment. It, it just is. Absolutely. That's your college football fix driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Will Salmon on the Farm Bureau phone line. He writes for The Athletic and is a guy that certainly knows the lay of the land in the state of Mississippi. What's up, Will? How are you, man? Hey, Richard. Good to be speaking with you once again, man. This is a really interesting story that you've written uh, about Joe Moorhead. Uh, if you don't have a subscription to The Athletic, you should get one. It doesn't cost very much. You can get writing like this from Will Salmon and lots of other really talented guys. Um, kind of give me a big picture of what you took away from the story that you wrote about Joe Moorhead, and then we'll kind of drill down a little bit. Sure. And I appreciate you asking me about it, too. Um, well... I think it should start just by like what's like the premise of like why you even want to do why you would even want to do the article right you know <laughs> because it's just, obviously I'm covering Florida now I think um, some context I'm working on some stuff in this Mississippi State this summer just on some series that the company is working on and I just thought of this story story idea involving Moorhead just because from an outsider's point of view it's like okay well I know that that team was pretty talented I know that. He inherited a pretty decent situ- situation, to say the least, far better than what most coaches who take over at a school inherit. But yet, I also know a lot of people who were not too happy with an 8-5 and five record. And so I kind of just wanted to talk to him a little bit about like what went wrong in those losses, what he took away from the year as a whole, as he sort of uh, heads toward this second season with the spring now behind him and the lessons learned through one year as being an SEC coach. Um, And I was also interested in just the other stuff. I mean, like, he's a guy who also had to rebuild pretty much a whole new staff after one season because of turnover. Um, So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different layers to it. Um, I think my biggest kind of takeaway was, like, you could look at the season and say to yourself, okay, this was a – big disappointment because a lot of people thought that this was a team capable of competing at a high level for an SEC championship. Uh, But at the same time, 
you do have to sort of say to yourself, okay, as much as this may stink if I'm a Mississippi State fan, it is pretty practical to think to yourself, okay, I can't really expect everything to work out completely 100% the way I want it to when everything is new. Like, practically speaking, it doesn't always work that way. And that was the thing that I kind of took uh, from the interview with them just because it sounds simple, but until you hear somebody else's point of view and their perspective, um, it's hard to kind of understand. Well, one of the things that jumped out to me in the story was where Moorhead said that in a lot of ways, and I'm paraphrasing here, rebuilding the 1-10 Fordham team that he took over and kind of developing Fordham into a, a legitimate competing mm-hmm. FCS team was easier than inheriting a team that had such high expectations. Can you take me a little deeper on that? Sure. I think we could all sort of relate to that in some sort of way, too. For example, like, hey, you know, Richard, like if you if you took over uh, a broadcast or a radio show where you replaced somebody who had a very, very strong track record, uh, who was excellent, and, you know, you're, you're good at what you do, but there's, you know, a certain um, time that it takes to kind of get acclimated and adjusted to a new role. Um, but I'm sure, like, if you or whoever took a job where, you know, it was awful, you know, there's only one way up, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like, yeah, um, I can't really mess this up because it's already, it's already got awful. You know, I mean, like, that's the other side of it. Um, so he didn't inherit that sort of dumpster fire situation that we see a lot in college football where, not for nothing, but Florida and the school that I predominantly cover now with Dan Mullen, he covered a Jim McElwain situation where McElwain <laughs> failed and it was uh, a nightmare. And so, yeah, you know, it was like, well, here we go. You know, at least at least this is new. We don't know how good it's going to be, but at least it's new. Joe Moorhead had a special set of circumstances, and that's what really intrigued me about his story because, quite honestly, you don't see that too often. You know, you see a lot of times guys are leaving jobs because they get fired, not because they did well and went somewhere else, especially a reputable program like in Mississippi State um, that's in the SEC. So with that analogy... That was the the cards he was dealt. Yeah. With with that analogy, is it almost like there was a little bit of a honeymoon period for Dan Mullen, even though the expectations at Florida are high year in, year out, and that honeymoon period just did not exist for Joe Moorhead? I think you can make that argument, and I think that that may be fair to say. Yeah, I think so, just because I think right when Joe Moorhead, and, and look, he was, he'll be the first one to say, and he says it in the article, he was the one talking about championship ring sizes and, you know, championship standards, and, like, that's his deal. You know, he's a very confident guy. That's not going to change. He's going to continue to do that, and he'll do that again, I'm sure. Um, but when that does happen, that exasperates the issue a little bit. Uh, because then it's, you're not doing anything to diminish what people are hyping it up it, it up to be. So mm-hmm. yeah, I would agree with you on that, I think, or at least agree with you on that point, because, yeah, I mean, you do have that grace period when things are not going so well, people are a lot more understanding. Hey, Will, it's Hey Dad. Uh, 
reading your article, one of the things that I learned was the role of Luke Getze last year. Talking to some other guys on the beat who have also read this article, we all thought the same thing, that Getze was just sort of there and he didn't have a big role. And it turns out he did, and now Moorhead is taking taking that role for himself. With that said, do you expect things to be different offensively for Mississippi State this year? Well, you know, it's it's weird because I thought the same thing because you know, I'm, I'm an avid reader and listener of you, man. Uh, yeah, I think you guys do a great job, and I'm um, not for nothing, but I tune in quite a lot, as you know. And so I just like to keep abreast with what's going on. And so, yeah, that's what I thought. And I honestly just asked him. So I was like, hey, you know, I heard that you're taking more of a role in the offense, but I don't really know what that means. So what was Luke doing exactly, and what would you be doing differently? And that's how we got into that conversation about, okay, well, Luke Getzey was actually at the head of the table at, at, at these offensive meetings, and that's what I'm going to be doing now. How does that play out onto the field? There are so many variables. Who's going to be the quarterback of this team? Right now it's Keaton Thompson, of course, but, hey, you know, you never know. There may be a transfer. So that plays a part in it, too, the personnel, obviously. So taking those variables out of my answer, I'm not so sure, but I do think that it makes it a little bit easier because you're getting – there's no messenger anymore is the way that I took it, whereas, you know, it was more head to get to players. It'll be more head to players. That's the vibe that I got. And therefore, not that there was any sort of thing lost in the translation. I hate to – I hate to just kind of throw that out there like that because that's not what I mean. But what I'm trying to get at is that it's coming directly from the guys. It was always his offense, and so it only makes sense for it to come right, the words to come directly from his mouth. Hey, Will, we've only got about a minute left. Will Salmon on your radio from The Athletic. We're talking about a story that he wrote about Joe Moorhead. I am curious as we kind of kind of wrap this up, coaches generally say that they don't have time to slow down and reflect how introspective did you find Joe Moorhead to be as you kind of talked to him with regard to a season ago versus just full speed ahead, this is how we're going to do it? Yeah, very very much so. That's one thing I'd like to point out is that I do think highly of him in that regard. Smart guy, bright guy. Um, I think he does say to, say to himself, and it's not just hot air when he says, I'm looking in the mirror, and while that sounds like a nice, comfortable quote, I think he means it. I think he means, like, hey, I actually did look in the mirror. These are things that I say personally. These are things I want to fix. I know I should fix. I'm going to figure it out on how to do it. Interesting stuff. Uh, Will, appreciate your time this afternoon. Good story. If you haven't read it, you can uh, get it at The Athletic. Uh, it's under the college football tab, or you can search for uh, Will Salmon's work. And uh, whatever the subscription price is, it is uh, absolutely worth it on a month-to-month basis. Thanks so much, Will. Hey, guys, thanks for the kind words. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on.
Super Talk Mississippi media production.